guys. Welcome back to the More Than Muscle podcast. This is episode three, and I'm your host, Matt Cooney. And today I'm joined by Gary McGowan. Gary, how are you? Very good, Matt. I haven't seen you in a long time. It's been a long, long time since we had a chat. I know you're living the dream abroad, and the rest of us are stuck here like plebs in Ireland, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't complain. No, I can't. I can't because I'm, I'm just, I've, I've, banned myself from complaining about anything <laughs> so for any of the listeners who might not know gary he is the co-owner of triage method which is an online coaching business they also have a massive education site which is triage method triage and he is also a qualified physiotherapist and i believe studying medicine now to be a, a doctor is that right that's correct that's correct yeah personal trainer at heart yeah <laughs> and how, how's all that been going juggling everything yeah no all's going well with me now to be honest um i mean as, as i was saying to you before we got started this whole kind of covid19 situation affects a lot of people's lives like really severely and some less so and i would put myself in the camp as being you know one of those who's less severely affected because basically as you, as you said, we've been online coaching and education business and all our work is online. And the fact yeah. that college is now also online is very convenient because I'm basically just doing two things and it's, it's, either, it's either studying or working on the laptop or I'm doing my bit of exercise. And to be honest, that suits me just fine, you know? Yeah. There, there is some positives to come out of it, which is good. So today, what I'm going to do, if, if you know Gary, you know, he is a, a wizard <laughs> and no, I think we no. could talk about absolutely anything and he would be able to just give you so much value. But what I actually wanted to touch on is more kind of personal about a few life lessons that you've gone through and mm -hmm. because I've been following you a while and we, we know each other a while now yeah. and I've kind of, I suppose I've seen over the, a few changes over the years, which I think will be very valuable to the listeners to kind of get an insight into. So the first thing I'm going to touch on is a period of your life, which I would call the grind. So you probably know what I'm referring to here. Um, it's, it was a couple of years ago now, but even if you give the listeners a bit of a background into this period of time in your life and what was going on and kind of what happened essentially. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, the, the, the time period of time you're, you're referring to is, is around the period of time where, I was uh, in the middle of studying physiotherapy. I had been starting off with my own um, online coaching business, which was just Skinny Gaz Fitness at the time, um, the kind of same year, more or less, that we started up Triage. And at that point in time, I was basically in that period of my life where I was like, you know, I, I, what age would I have been? 21, 22? Um, I'm 25 now, so we're talking three, four years ago. Um, in that period of time where like you, you don't see how much of your life is actually ahead of you. And I think like, I'm only obviously in my mid twenties, so I can't, I don't have all the answers here, but I think that when you're in your twenties, especially your early twenties, or even for the people who are doing their leaving starts now, you think that life is basically over at 30. So in my eyes, I always felt like I need to be fucking sorted by 25, you know, because that's old. <laughs> like I need to have my shit together by 25. So like in my in my early 20s in those earlier years i always felt like every decision like was a real prompt decision and everything had to be 100% right away and i would basically have been willing to sacrifice anything for um whatever goal i happened to be working 
divorce. Um, you know, my own business. I was kind of like you said, going through that grind phase where you're watching a lot of kind of Gary Vaynerchuk videos and motivational videos, and you're just constantly everything is just 100% go towards the goal. And I think there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that attitude. In that, I think everyone has to go through that phase to maybe develop the the mindset and the behaviors and the habits, et cetera, that do contribute to being successful at anything that you do. However, it can sort of lead you to have blinkers on as to what is going on beyond your, your, your narrow focus, even including things like your health. Because when I think back to, to that period of time and, you know, my decision to, I dropped out of college for a year, basically, uh, before going back. When I think back to that time and I think of the actual work that I was doing in terms of actual like producing things as opposed to just being busy and I compare it to now, I'm kind of like, well, I'm actually doing more now. Like I'm definitely doing more challenging things now than I was then, but I don't feel like that busy is idiot who was running around, you know, taking everything like really seriously and kind of constantly being on edge. Because I think at that time, I was, you know, I was starting to get into, you know, really being like the type of person that like I wake up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and I get to work and that's it. Um, And I'm still, I am still that person. Like I haven't changed. I don't sleep until eight o'clock or anything. But the, the thing now is that I'm more able to just kind of focus on, all right, what are the meaningful things that I need to be doing as opposed to just being busy for the sake of it. Um, Another part of that is probably like back then I thought it was kind of like that, that hard work was basically the only virtue. Like that was, that was kind of what I saw as being like my main value in life and and what I kind of wanted to be known for almost, I would say. Um, like that's, that's kind of the lens through which I saw myself. And as a result, you know, even like I was probably spending way more time on social media than I, than I needed to in terms of sharing my own life and, and producing content when in fact, taking your time with that stuff and producing high quality stuff, maybe for your fitness business or whatever is actually more useful than constantly having 200 stories up per day, which take five to six hours of your time. You know? So when I look back on that stuff, I look at myself as being like busy all the time and constantly on, but in terms of the actual value I was generating for myself and for others in terms of the long term, I think like right now is a more productive time for me, despite not feeling quite as busy because obviously like it's not like I'm 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 saying to you oh yeah three four years ago I was so busy whereas now I uh you know I'm I just meditate all day and I don't do anything and I relax and I'm at one with uh, the spirit or whatever because like obviously I'm studying medicine and, and like we still have our business and I train and I like reading etc so still very much a busy person but my conception of what it means to be busy has changed and also I think my general values have changed quite quite a bit versus that period of time so that would be my summary the way i reflect on it myself and the other big thing that kind of comes back to what i said at the start is that as i as i said when i was like 21 20 even from 18 to 20 i felt like i needed to be done with life by 25 like that was that was that was my mindset that everything needed to be sorted by then whereas now I actually think more so in like in terms of decades and I'm thinking, all right, where, where do I want to be when I'm 35? And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking now. And that was one of the things that prompted that decision to go back and study medicine, because obviously like medicine is not something that you, you do in a year and it's like, Oh, I'm going to be a doctor next year. It's, it's four years in college. You do your intern year, you do a couple of years of general training, then specialist training, so when I mean I'm, I'm looking a decade ahead, it literally is that decision where, you know, if I'm saying to myself, okay, I want to be a cardiologist or a cardiac surgeon or whatever it happens to be, 
that's a 10 year decision as opposed to those kind of, you know, real quick decisions that I was very fond of in my early twenties, you know? Yeah. And I think, yeah, what like a real good concept there is the whole thing of working hard versus working smart. Yes. Because again, like I, I definitely went through that stage as well, where you think it's just more, more, more work hard, work hard. Whereas, and like you were saying, even about producing content, like you're, for you, even you were spending like hours and hours, like you were giving out so much content and value, but like looking at it now is, was it the smartest way to do it? As in like that, yeah. just doing 200 Snapchat stories and then yeah. within one day they're all gone. Whereas, yeah, it's just you know, transient. Yeah. <laughs> and just to give people an idea, I remember kind of following you during this time um, when you did drop out of college and it's, I, I, like I was kind of following along watching you and like you went through a period of time where I'm sure you were getting about like four hours sleep a night for like how long was that I remember it's it wasn't like just a couple of days how long how long do you think you were doing that for yeah like I was living like that for for a, for a long time to be honest in terms of like genuinely getting no more than four to six hours of sleep per night and justifying it to myself. But I mean, like, I'm not sure how, how long that actually was, but it was certainly something that I, I, I had kind of been, you know, always doing, even when I was interested in the health and fitness thing, like I, w I would kind of just brush that aside and I'd confirm my own biases in terms of saying, oh, you know, five or six hours sleep is more than enough. <laughs> Whereas in fact, you know, I, I, that, that was not actually allowing me to do any more than I could have if I had slept for seven or eight hours, because I just would have been more efficient and I could, could have very easily cut out two hours of Snapchat stories per day, yeah. you know, and, and, and been doing a lot more in terms of my own health and my own well-being, and, and actually, you know, being work, like you said, working smart and having the capacity to work smart as opposed to just, to just working harder. So, so yeah, there's, there's that, that's definitely one thing, um, in terms of like the, the, the sleep like that, like right now I still do get up like really early. A lot of, most of the time I do get up still at like four thirty or whatever, but I just yeah. go to bed really, I just go to bed really early. So, um, yeah. there is that. It's kind of like, even like you were saying with your values, whereas like <clears throat> sleep was down the, the list of values at that time. Yeah. Whereas then now it's a lot higher. Um, and I remember as well during that time, like you were in, like you got yourself in really good shape. Like I remember you saying it even with, um, with this limited sleep, but mm -hmm. you did start to experience some like side effects or negative health effects from this kind of prolonged lack of sleep, didn't you? If I remember correctly. Yeah, like there were, there were some times where I just felt I didn't, didn't feel like, um, I was on top of my game by any means. I remember like the, that was probably two, three, probably three years ago where I'd gone through a period of, of basically having to be a bit more sleep deprived. And that, that time was kind of more out of necessity. Well, actually, yeah, no, it was, it was, it probably was four years ago when I was doing my exams during college. Um, and I started, there was one exam where I just had this, uh, like in just nosebleed out of nowhere. You know, I felt real anxious. I'd basically been up most of the night because we had like an assignment due and then we had an exam. And because I had a load of clients, I was basically trying to prioritize that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I basically had a, a nosebleed in the middle of the exam. I, I felt, you know, real anxious. It was like a little bit of a, like a panic attack or something. Came back and finished the exam and did really well. So that was all fine. Um, but there definitely was um, that period of time where, you know, I, I probably was blind to the own 
to my own sense of well-being. And I mean, that is something that is reinforced in terms, like if you do read research on sleep, you will see that one of the things that crops up time and time again is that when people are sleep deprived, even chronically, they have the, they basically have a skewed perception of what it means to feel well, you know, because what you have to realize is that for the, let's say the, for the average unfit, obese person on the street who's used to eating a diet of, you know, chocolate and crisps and stuff, their sense of what is normal is different to my sense of what is normal to your sense of what is normal, because obviously we all have different baselines in terms of our sense of well-being. So, I mean, if you were to take that person and, and ask them how they feel today, they might say, well, you know, I feel, I feel good. It's a pretty good day for me. And um, whereas that could actually be like a four out of 10 for someone like me or you who are actually engaging in lots of healthful behaviors. And that's essentially what can happen when you are in that period of time where you are sleep deprived, you're quite stressed. It's very easy to just say, no, this is pretty normal. This is absolutely fine because you don't have that contrast because you can't go from like uh, feeling that way to feeling fantastic the next day. It's just constantly, that's your new baseline. And it's only ever when people come out of that period of time where they start sleeping more, maybe they spend a bit more time doing things they enjoy rather than forcing themselves to do things that just make them stressed, that they begin to realize that, oh, actually, I was, I was actually not feeling great at all during that time. Um, so yeah, it, it's difficult to appreciate that. And even if I was to go through a period of time of being sleep deprived at the moment, I would still be able to fool myself and say, oh no, I feel great. You know, and that's the thing. It'll happen again. It happens to everyone. Um, and you just have to, if you're, if you're aware of it in advance, you can kind of, you can, you know, catch yourself by the, by the arm and say, Hey, you know, you, you need to look after yourself because you know, it, it is important. Yeah. Because definitely it's, it's one of those things that you don't realize while it's going on. Yeah. And it's not until after you come out of it that, and it's sometimes it's not even immediately after it's, way down the line and like nearly everyone can associate some period of their life where they had some stressful event that at the time didn't feel that bad and now when you look back you're like oh my god I was like kind of like when you come out of it you're like this is what normal feels like because yeah. you've adapted to that was your normal and it's very hard to kind of you know even for coaches sometimes to tell people like that no like this kind of isn't normal like feeling like that it may feel normal to you, but when you actually start to you know, manage your stress, look after your sleep a lot better, your perception of normal will change. But again, it's, it's when you're in it, it can be very, very hard to mm. kind of get out. Because again, you said you can just buy anything, really. We're very good at that like, as humans, I think. So the next thing, just to move on from, from that was... Um, one thing I've kind of noticed with your journey over the, the last few years, maybe I'm wrong, but it's, it seems like for you, you were a lot more physique orientated maybe years mm -hmm. ago. And over yeah. time, has that maybe just naturally moved towards more of like a, a health orientated approach? Yeah, like, and I mean, I've seen this with, with uh, a lot of people that I'd be friends with as well, where... Um, you kind of go through this, like it, it depends how you got into fitness. And I think that's an important thing because I came into to fitness initially with the desire to improve my physique. Like I want to look better. I want to gain some muscle. I want to be leaner. You're looking at people like Steve Cook and stuff and you're like, I want to be like that. But other people come into, come into fitness because they were playing GAA and they just wanted to improve their strength conditioning for the purposes of, of GAA. Other people come into it purely because they were obese and they want to, you know, lose weight and improve their health. So, I mean, it, it really depends on where you come in as opposed to where, or to, 
in terms of deciding where you actually end up. And for me, I came in with that perspective of, right, I want to improve my physique. And as a result, when you have that lens, you look at everything through that lens. That's all you can see. So if you're thinking of a training intervention, all you think about is how does this training uh, intervention affect body composition? You know, VO2 max, aerobic capacity doesn't matter. You know, the relationship between mitochondria and health or whatever doesn't matter because all you're, all you're thinking about is, um, does this improve my physique? If it doesn't, it's of no use to me. If it does, that's of use to me. And the same thing when it comes to nutrition. Um, when you look at your place, you begin to lose kind of the respect for flavor or the TLC that your mom put into the cooking because all you see is protein, carbohydrates, fats, and the overall calorie count of that meal. And we all go through this. And that's, that's what you start to see when you look at the plate. And even when you look beyond training and nutrition, it's very easy to start looking at other areas of your life with or through that lens. Like when I look back on my early uh, college days, you know, I, I, there, was, there was periods of time where I would, I would just like never, ever, ever, ever even think about going out or having a drink or anything. And, and the thing is, so you can look at that through a real positive light and say, oh my God, you know, you're, you're just so healthy. You know, you have this just fantastic perspective on life where you really prioritize what matters. However, that can be just as disordered as the person who is going out drinking every week. And I don't think I was necessarily this person, but I definitely know many people who they, they don't go out because they're afraid to go out. They're afraid to ruin their body composition results because of a drink or two. And there's definitely been times where that has been a strong decision or strong motivating factor for me making certain decisions. And the risk there is that what you do is you look at everything through the body composition lens. When you look at a night out, all you see is alcohol calories or alcohol inhibition of fat oxidation or whatever way you want to look at it. And then you think to yourself, not making that decision because body composition is my sole filter. However, it shouldn't be your sole filter because what you have to realize there is that there could have been a second order effect whereby you spending time with your friends was nourishing those relationships that are actually really important for your social health, your well-being, your psychological health, um, and that those friends that you have are going to be support structures for you um, in the future. It's very difficult to see that when you when all you see is body composition as your filter. So, you know, I, I definitely do regret not fostering some of the relationships that I could during college a bit more, because the thing is, when, you, when you're in university and stuff, it's, it's a pretty unique time um, of your life where you have the opportunity to meet people you may never meet again, to, you know, engage in different behaviors or to try out new things and stuff. And, and that can go the wrong way. But for the most part, I think there's a lot to be gained from those experiences. And again, if you're looking at everything through the body composition lens, all you're doing is putting a mirror in front of those people and looking back at yourself anytime you're making those decisions. And I think, I think, I think that's definitely one of the trade-offs that I was willing to make at the time. But looking back, I think, you know, that was probably immature. And the thing is, you, you are immature. You know, when you're, when you're 18, 20, even now 25, we're still immature to some of the decisions that we're making. And it's only when you look back that you can kind of learn those lessons. And I guess the purpose of having this discussion would be so that if you are someone who is listening to this and you're in college and you're looking at everything through that body composition lens, 
try to broaden that perspective. Try to look at things through the lens of some of your friends. Now, that doesn't mean that you go and take ecstasy five nights a week. Please don't. Not a fantastic idea, you know, but it does mean that you can begin to appreciate why other people make some of their decisions and where you might be blind to some of them. So, yeah, as you said, over the years, probably moved a little bit away from solely focusing on body composition because it does get a bit dry. You know, it kind of comes to the point where, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym again and, and just train for the purpose of stimulating my chest hypertrophy. And that's it. It gets a bit boring eventually. And especially if you've gotten to the point where you're like, right, I've gained most of the muscle that's going to be beneficial for health. You know, I'm kind of happy with how I look. Um, getting leaner isn't really necessary. And there kind of becomes this, this, this situation where, right, I do love fitness and I love training. So are there other things I could train, I could train for, you know, and at the moment I do uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that's something that I absolutely love. And I've probably gotten more enjoyment out of that now than I have ever out of just training in the gym. Similarly, I've taken up a bit of running, um, probably for the last two to two and a half years, been doing a bit more running and just diversifying the way that I train while still very much absolutely loving my resistance training, because like that's, that's just what I love from a, a theoretical and a practical perspective is resistance training, lifting weights and all that comes with that. Um, so yeah, definitely something that has broadened and health is of course a huge focus within that. And the thing is body, even just training for bodybuilding, hypertrophy, etc. you're getting most of the health benefits anyway. So, I mean, those people are health focused, but what I would say is that it can lead you to engage in a lot of unhealthful behaviors. And a lot of those actually happen to be social and psychological um, more so than the actual nutritional or exercise related, you know, because if you're doing loads of resistance training and you're doing a bit of cardio, you're meeting your exercise guidelines probably. And you're doing better than 99% of the population. If you're eating to manage your protein, carbohydrates, fats, fiber, calories, etc. then again, you're looking after your nutrition from a health perspective. But it really is those uh, social and psychological aspects of health that can start to fall apart when you become that kind of solely individual body composition focused person, you know? Yeah, I think that's absolutely golden because again, I, I would have been very much like you yeah. had that sole body composition um, focus. And I honestly actually think if gave me it led me to actually probably get worse results than I could have got if yeah, I, I was actually focusing on other things which is kind of sounds stupid because that was your sole focus but yet I do yeah. believe like like that the social and psychological elements of it was like is so important that I and like that's what some people I would have thought years ago as well like when it comes to body composition that will have a negative effect on my body composition meeting those people will, drinking will. But yeah. actually, when I look back now, I'm like, I would definitely be in the same shape, if not better, because I wouldn't yeah. have stressed about those things. I would have been able to actually enjoy it more. And who knows, you know, I could have probably had less focus on the gym and ended up stronger, like not getting injured, not getting burnt out, stuff like that. So it's funny, like, it's kind of like, like, would you have found that as well? That a lot of people think, those things will negative, negatively affect their body composition when I don't think it would. Yeah. And, and as, and as I was kind of saying, you know, you do become blind to those things. And at the time it's impossible to sell that stuff because we say this now with this, having gone through the experience, whereas if I was to speak to 20 year old Gary, or you were to speak to 20 year old Matt, do you think we would have listened? I don't know. Like I'm not confident that I would have, because again, 
when all you see, when you see the world through one singular perspective, someone trying to come in and intervene on that is a really difficult sell, you know, and maybe it's the case you really looked up to and they happen to have changed your perspective. But a lot of the time, it, it, it comes from this kind of going through the experience yourself, learning the lessons and basically accumulating the scars that leads to you come to the realization. So I'm always trying to keep that in my head when I'm trying to advise clients or I'm trying to advise people younger than myself, um, either in age or in terms of their, their fitness journey, because I do think there is a certain amount of learning about these things that you just have to you know, pick up the scars and then you'll get it. And yeah. otherwise you just might, you just mightn't get it. Um, so yeah, but th those social and psychological factors are underrated and difficult to sell. And that's the thing, because as I said, you learn these things, things through experience and they don't make for great social media posts. You know, yeah. it's hard for, it's hard for me to explain in an Instagram post why someone might actually be uh, sabotaging some elements of their life by not going out and having a drink with friends every now and then. It's hard to sell that because it's much easier to look at the world in a kind of, of a binary manner and say, calorie deficit, full stop. You know, And if that's the end of your analysis, if that is the end of your analysis in terms of health, like you are missing so many things. But the, the, the difficulty there being that this is a nuanced conversation and a conversation that has to be kind of lived and not just learned. Like I can't read one post and get the point that me and you are trying to put across because there has to be that experience element. So, so yeah, I don't know. Do you think 20 year old Matt would have listened to you? 20 year old Matt would have scrolled, scrolled straight past me and you and <laughs> looked for the guy with no top on that was bigger than me. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's another thing that trying to explain to people as well with, with health, like even health, it's so kind of complicated. Like it's a multifaceted yes. thing. It's not just calories or the food you eat. It's like, even if you just take the exact same food you eat, but you eat it in a different psychological state, yeah. that could affect your health. And like, how do you tell someone that, you know, like without, you know, obviously going deeper into things. Um, and that's where sometimes as well, social media, it's, it's Jesus great in ways, but getting to that deeper level stuff, um, it's just not possible sometimes with certain things, you know. But to, to move on, um, something I want to cover now is a concept that you, you talk about a lot. Oh, well, actually, you hashtag a lot. It's the too easy mindset. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, Gary always uses a hashtag with the number two, the letter E, and the letter Z. It's too easy. So... This isn't just like some trendy Instagram thing to get people to be like, use that hashtag. There's actually yeah. uh, a deeper meaning behind this that I found really, really uh, insightful and valuable. So if you could share with the listeners, what is the too easy mindset? Yeah, so like that, that kind of very simple phrase of, you know, ah, it's too easy. That's something that me and Paddy, uh, the other guy from Triage, like we just say all the time. But it's one of those things that like, like because uh, I've thought through this a lot in terms of like what we were just talking about there. I was saying that uh, you can't, sometimes, you, you just can't get across nuanced messages on social media a lot of the time. But what does kind of get to people are real simple things that have those second and third order effects that may not actually be apparent until you live through it. And for me, the, the telling people to kind of adopt this too easy mindset actually is, is a prime example of that. Because like when I, say, when I say too easy, you know, you think, 
your, your initial thought on the surface is this person is just cocky and they just want to make everything look like it's easy. However, like that's actually totally missing the point because when I, when I, when I say that to myself and I kind of use that as a means of self-talk all the time, um, it has multiple different levels to it. So if I'm being like, when I was making the decision to, uh, go back in and, and study medicine, like that seemed like a ridiculous decision because anyone that knows me would know that I'm already quite busy with, um, the actual triage work and with um with my own kind of reading and studying and training etc so like when you've got those things in your plate it seemed ridiculous for me to go back and and to try and to try and study medicine and you know my parents said it and you know my friends said it and, but but for me it was just like it's grand it's too easy because it, because once you do kind of adopt it and it's not just a case of saying it's actually going to just be an easy path it's a case of saying it to yourself so that you engage in the behaviors that bring about the outcome that you basically set in advance. Because what I've said to myself is that this is going to be too easy. So now it's about saying, how do I follow through with that and make sure that it actually is? What do I need to change my life? What do I need to reorganize? And um, what do I need to spend more or less time on so that I can actually show myself that, oh yeah, it actually was too easy. You know what I mean? For me, what that is, I think the, 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 the college thing is just a good example to give you an applied example of this, but like the, so far in college, basically, I've had to, I made a, a number of changes to kind of the way I live so that I can make it a too easy experience. And one of those things has been, for example, spending less time on social media, a lot less time. Um, and basically what that has done is freed up so many hours per week that I can spend studying, um, studying what I, need to, what I need to for medicine. And what that essentially does for me then is brings about a situation whereby my life doesn't feel much different, but I'm moving in the direction that I initially set by saying, ah, no, it's fine. It's going to be too easy, you know, because what you don't want to do going into any situation is to say, oh, this is going to be so hard. This is going to crush me. And because what, what you basically do when you say that to yourself, that this is going to be hard, is that you're then reminding yourself of that in every situation that you go into. Whereas if you go into a situation saying, this is going to be too easy, and you start to build that into your identity, then you become the person that is a source of calm when you're walking into an exam. So that when I'm walking into an exam and the person next to me is stressing out, I'm saying to them, you know, don't worry, it's going to be, it's going to be too easy. And when other people see you being like that and, and, and being that kind of calm person in those times of stress, it affects everyone around you and affects everyone, everyone around you because they can see oh, well, that person's, you know, that person's kind of chill out and they, they have a good kind of perspective on things. So, so yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm just, it's okay. We, we, we've got this, you know, and whether it's a walking into an exam or whether it's starting off on a new journey in life by saying that very simple thing to yourself and by accepting that, oh no, this is too easy. You're saying to yourself that life could be a lot worse. So that's a big element of it. It's, it's simply gratitude. It's that, you know, I'm actually, not in a Nazi concentration camp, you know, like that's a pretty good situation that I'm not there because life could be a lot worse. And I'm walking into an exam, a fucking medicine exam, where they're going to ask me some question about nerve conduction velocity or about the pathology of a particular disease. It's like, man, like this is a golden situation. How, how could I be this lucky that I'm in this situation? You know, so that's a big part of it too. It's just that gratitude element. And then saying to yourself, look, you know, what happens happens, you know, and I'm just going to do everything that I can that is within my control um, to make sure that this is actually too easy, as opposed to feeling like I'm going to be some sort of victim, because feeling like you're a victim in life 
never helps. Like there's, there's literally zero benefit to you of pretending that you're a victim other than a little bit of pity from other people. But pity from other people doesn't improve your grades. It doesn't improve your income. Um, and it doesn't improve the amount of muscle mass or anything that you have. So you're much better off to say, this is going to be too easy. And yeah, the thing, the thing is that actually comes, does come with risk. Because if you say, I'm a victim, you've actually pushed away all the risk and all you're asking for is pity and no one expects anything of you. Whereas when you say, this is going to be too easy, um, you, you basically say to yourself that I'm accepting the risk that I'm going to fail in front of all the people who I just told that this is going to be too easy. And most importantly, myself, I'm, I'm, I'm ca carrying the risk that I'm going to fail and that I'm going to have to look at myself and say, oh, come on, man, you could have done better. So again, it's this feed forward cycle of kind of self-talk, follow up with the necessary behavior and achieve the outcome. And that's the way I look at it anyway. And again, see, see how long that took to kind of try and yeah. get out of my head. Like you can't sell that on social media, you know? <laughs> and that's still, not, that's still only touching the surface with it. Uh, yeah, you can talk about it for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And I think, but the thing is with like the basis of it is it's actually very easy to do. Like literally it's self-talk telling yourself it's too easy. And what, what happens is I think when you continuously take that approach, you start to get your like subconscious to think that. Yeah. And that's, I think, how powerful it is. Because again, you said, if you think you're going to, if you're like, I'm going to fail, what's going to happen is you're going to fail <laughs> because you keep telling yourself you're going to fail. And then even if you're, and like, even if you try to kind of tell yourself you do well, if your subconscious is still thinking you're really, you're going to fail. Like, you know, and, but what happens is if you keep reaffirming that in your head, that this is too easy, this is too easy, it does eventually become subconscious. And like you said, when you are taking the actions, it follows, you know? So it's not just a case of you saying it's too easy and now you're a doctor. Like, you know, you have, yeah, to, exactly. you have to take the actions for you to become a doctor, but it's the whole mindset approach to it. Um, and I think that's just powerful. So like, and even... Has someone got a tattoo of too easy? Am I imagining things? <laughs> Two people got a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny, man. <laughs> but in all seriousness, like the thing is, like I'm not trying to sell people this new idea. Like many people in the past have said, you know, I got this. You know, this is this is fucking me. This is what I've got. You know, so like you see that in all the movies. But the thing is, what? What stands the test of time as a good piece of advice is generally pretty good advice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's just much easier to say I am a victim. Oh no, this is so hard. So like taking that extra step is just something that's real beneficial, but not something that's necessarily new. And I don't want it to, for, to claim that that is necessarily the case either. <laughs> yeah. It's actually something I used when I was, cause I think you started to use it. I think I was on my bodybuilding prep for my show and like it is something I adopted I kind of had like three different things I would always think and one of them was just it's too easy because I'm like yeah I'm hungry yeah I can eat if I want it's just too easy I'm just gonna keep not keep going you know and it is it, it is one of those things like seems like nothing but it genuinely is powerful because it does shift your mind you know to a different place when you can yeah. just constantly do it yeah you you put yourself in control and you basically give yourself what would be referred to in like in scientific research as self-efficacy. And if you look at the 
like research on self-efficacy in terms of health outcomes and rehabilitation and, and training progress, et cetera, self-efficacy is always a positive determinant. So, I mean, it's basically a way of, of trying to simplify like the research that is there, the experience that would tell you that, yeah, obviously being confident is a fairly good idea. <laughs> um, and basically just putting it into this small little soundbite that you can use in your everyday life. And I mean, I've spoken to other coaches as well who have said that, like obviously my own clients would, but their, even their clients have started adopting it because they just try and you know, get, get them to say, look, you know, when you are feeling a bit hungry and you're, you're feeling sorry for yourself, just say to yourself, it's fucking too easy because it, because it actually is. And that's the thing. It's like this, anything that is voluntary is very much different to being involuntary. So for example, if you're in an involuntary situation in a concentration camp where you're starving and you don't know when your next meal would be, there's a great amount of uncertainty that comes with that and anxiety. Um, so when you are in a situation where you're voluntarily starving yourself, what you have to realize is that all of your underlying physiology is still probably going to be interpreting that as a situation where we're not sure when the next meal is, you know, because that's, that's what has evolved. They're the systems that have evolved to ensure that you do seek out food. So you kind of trying your best to override that by saying, man, it's too easy. I'm going to be eating in like three hours. Fucking chill the fuck out, man. You know, it's like that's, that's just what you're saying to yourself that I have got this, like this, what, what am I doing? I'm in a 500 calorie deficit. Who gives a shit? You know, it's too easy. And obviously the, the, like, I'm not saying that the power of the mind can override anything in the body because like, that's not the case. Like you can't just get rid of your hunger signals, yeah. but having that control is certainly helpful in those cases. That's actually, yeah, like the other two things I used to tell myself. So the first one was too easy. The other one was like, especially with hunger, I was like, are you going to die? And it's like, no. Yeah, are you going okay, to die? I'm not going to die. I'm going to be fine. And then the next one it was like, you choose to do this. So yeah. you can actually eat whenever you want. And there's people out in the world that are starving. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I just put myself next to them. And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait a couple hours, you know. Um, and I, I, I found... I don't know. I, I wasn't even trying to do that. It was more when I was on prep, I was like, these were my pillars to keep me yeah, going. They're, they're you know? coping mechanisms. Yeah. Um, so to move on, we're going to move to another actual saying that you have that is very prominent on your social media and that's be happy. And I think again, it's one of those things where it's very on the surface level, it's very simple, be happy. Yeah. But what does that kind of mean to you? Because that was actually the original one before. Mm-hmm. That was your first kind of thing. You always had that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I've got that actually tattooed in my arm because um, I've basically been saying been saying that like for as long as like, I can remember. Like that wasn't even, that wasn't a, a fitness thing or a Gary the coach thing. It was just like, yeah, just fucking be happy. You know, that was always my thing. Um, and, and to be honest, like my my own perspective on, happiness and the pursuit of happiness and all that sort of stuff has changed a lot over the years however like that that kind of idea of just saying to yourself look just just be happy is not it's not about because i think some people have misinterpreted it it's not about saying to yourself oh i'm just going to put on an idiot smile in all situations um and pretend that i don't have any emotions and just smile you know it's it's not about that for me a, a big part of saying that to myself is is gratitude because I've always associated it myself with um, some of the volunteering I've done abroad in in Belarus, because having seen some of those situations and thinking about people who um, are in orphanages with disabilities and their, you know, parents have left them, et cetera. Like you can't help but look at situations like that or, or the, or the concentration camps or the gulags or whatever, and think to yourself that Jesus, you know, I have 
every reason in the world to just, you know, be grateful for what I have and to make the most of my opportunities. So the two do kind of go together where, you know, you're starting off with that framework of saying, right, I'm grateful for what I have. I'm going to try to be positive and I'm going to say to myself then, right, this is too easy. Let's go forward and do something. So for me, the two kind of build on top of each other. And that's basically why they're the two hashtags in every post that I put um, on Instagram, because I think they're just a good framework for waking up in the morning and being ready to live your life. And, 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 and for me, like, I, I always like to remind, to remind other people that, yeah, just because you are, you know, having a bad day and you feel a bit shit today, it doesn't mean that you just smile and ignore that it means that you do what you can to rectify that as well so you know you're still grateful for the things that you have to be to be grateful for but you can still take actions on things that are dragging you down you know so it's not just about accepting uh sadness and smiling over it for sure um so yeah that that's always that's always been me and any, anyone that kind of knows me in real life would probably agree that I'm generally a, a pretty positive person i don't tend to get down about a lot of things or stressed about a lot of things because again it is just for me about having that perspective that things could be a lot worse you know and things could always be worse and i mean there's been situations in in my own life with family members where people have had to go through some pretty terrible atrocities and i just always remind myself of that and think you know man you're pretty lucky and you always have something um that that you can that you can look on as a a means of getting a positive light you know yeah I think that's so good and powerful because, again, like you said, it's not just a case of, oh, yeah, be happy. Like, everything is happy and you just smile. Yeah. And it's, it's more that deeper kind of gratitude and gratefulness that you can always revert back to when you're not maybe feeling 100%, you know? Mm -hmm. And I kind of say to people as well, like, how do you, essentially, if, how do you know, if you're always happy, what's, there's no good in that you know you need to experience yeah. other emotions sadness 100%. stress all this to to be able to appreciate what happy is to be able and that's something this current situation we're in right now is kind of perfect example of what you've been talking about to where could be a lot worse having gratitude and being able to come out of this you know with that perspective it's um i think it's very powerful yeah because i mean it can it can become stupid optimism at times and i think there's a lot to be said for just not being blindly optimistic in all situations either because you know i mean some people at the start of let's say the covid19 pandemic would would just be like oh you know it's fine let's just be optimistic because the flu is much worse or we could be dying from the plague or whatever so what i would never want to promote is 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 saying that uh like me saying be happy is is in line with stupid blind optimism because that's absolutely not the case you know if anyone that was following me knows from the start that i was saying that look this fucking covid19 thing it's a fucking big deal and you all need to take this seriously you know back in january and february etc and and here we are uh, so yeah like it's it's not always good to be to be optimistic but it is good to you know to try to be to be realistic and and to find what you can actually do in a given situation because you know one of the like I'm a big fan of, of Stoic philosophy in general. And one of the myths that people often have about Stoic philosophy is that Stoicism is about just basically crushing your emotions and pretending they don't exist. Whereas that's not the case. It's almost like Stoicism is very much in line with like more modern principles of cognitive behavioral therapy, where, you know, rather than dwelling on all of the negatives associated with a given situation, you try to make it solution focused. So if I have a given problem in my life and I look at the 
fact that there are bad things going on in the world because there are you know i mean like the fact that the vast majority of the population are trending towards obesity is probably not a good situation you know for for long term um humanity etc or maybe you're concerned about uh climate change or the fragility of humans if there was a solar flare or we get hit by a comet or whatever but what you what you have to say to yourself is what can i actually control within this particular situation you know and then what can i do about it what control are there solutions that i could potentially come up with um and then move forward because there you like you, you can be a, a realist and, and basically acknowledge that there are bad things in the world and there are bad things in your own life and that there is going to be suffering. And then you have two choices from there. You can be the person who just curls up into a ball and doesn't do anything and allows the suffering to crush them. Or you can be the person who basically bears some sort of burden, carries their cross to go and try to to move forward and to to do something about the the burden in your life. So so yeah, like that's that's something I would want to make clear because like for me and my personal philosophy, it's never just about saying that uh let's be optimistic in all situations and basically uh pretend there's nothing bad in the world because that for me is just the same as some idiot who's walking around smiling um every day and getting walked over by other people and getting used and manipulated etc. You don't want to be that person either, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's golden. There's so much like to take away from from that, and especially with this situation, it's relevant. And mm-hmm. the last thing I just want to touch on is another thing that I've heard you say before, and it's it really kind of caught caught me caught my attention. Is this, mm-hmm. and I think we've touched on it, is this um, concept of social help? Because um, again, I think like you said, uh, the social and psychological aspects of health are probably often overlooked and especially in the body composition type mm-hmm. nutrition type world so just what what maybe just a brief overview of what you mean by what is social health yeah so like i mean if you if you if you think about like the way that we like live nowadays right the, the we're basically very much we, we have the opportunity for more connection than ever, you know, because of social media, et cetera. Um, however, we also have this kind of paradoxical, paradoxical desire for individualism and being a, an individual. And if you think about like that can be paradoxical and it can't be. And what I mean by that is let's say you're a, a bodybuilder or someone who's getting into fitness. And like I was alluding to earlier, you become that person who looks at everything through the lens of uh, body composition. What can happen in that case is, you know, you pursue self-development at all costs and you basically, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of good in that you're moving the needle forward in terms of your own health and you're moving the needle forward in terms of your own aesthetics or your performance or whatever, but you leave a lot of things behind. So, I mean, like if you think of the way people might have lived uh, in, in, in the past, let's just say in general, it could, cause it could, it could even be just your parents' generation, you know, where people had maybe more of a, a value for, their family, their friends, their community, etc. Like imagine there's a small village in Italy um, on the coast where everyone knows each other. And, you know, I buy something from the, the fishmonger who just caught the fish this morning, who was helped out by his friend's cousin, etc. And there's this kind of tight-knit community where I do something for you, you do something for me. Um, this all helps all of us as a community. And we all have this kind of single purpose. And that could even be tied to something like religion because you're all, you're all working within your own community and you all understand that we have a, com- a kind of a common goal and a, a common God and common values, etc. And there's that sense of community that does come with 
character. And, and that, that for me would be an example of some, something that is, you know, quite socially healthy. Whereas for the bodybuilder, they might be, again, looking at, looking through their worldview and only seeing their own kind of personal development as being the only goal. So they've nothing else to, to kind of fall back on. And their whole life is measured solely based on, am I gaining more muscle or am I not gaining more muscle? Um, as opposed to being, being able to look around and to take pleasure from seeing, you know, your friends or your cousins or your family or whatever moving forwards or from seeing everyone at church every week, which could have been something valuable for our parents and our grandparents. So for me, it, there, there can be a lot of, a lot of trade-offs in kind of social health that are somewhat dif- difficult to study for sure and difficult to simplify because it's kind of hard to describe. Um, like for example, if you were to, if you were to say to ask one of your grandparents, uh, why do you feel better after, after you go to mass every Sunday, you know, they mightn't be able to say exactly why, you know, it, it mightn't be the case that they're like, Oh, because when I go to mass, uh, my cortisol levels are reduced and I feel I have less anxiety and uh, my, the areas of the brain that govern anxiety are dampened down, et cetera. Like, there's none of that kind of analysis going on. Whereas when we start to look at things through a kind of a, a pure self-development perspective, it's like for me to engage in a new behavior, I need to be able to show that this is going to improve my body composition or my performance or my income or whatever. So it's, it's hard to kind of simplify that whole idea of social health. But for me, like having like quality relationships in your life um, having, you know, common goals that you work towards with other people. Like, for example, I saw I was saying I do uh, jujitsu. And when you even just being part of that jujitsu community where we're all working towards a common goal, like everyone wants to get better as an individual, but you do so while you know, showing the other guy how to choke you better, you know, and it's a really unique situation because um, if someone has you in a choke or something and, and they're not choking you out, you out, you're like, no, 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 do it this way. I'll, I'll be fucked then. And then when they do eventually choke, you're like, yeah, man, that was savage. Well done. And you're, there's this kind of mutual exchange whereby yeah. you all leaving feel, feeling like you've improved. And you've kind of got this common set of values and everyone understands their own language. And, you know, it's like, you know, you're looking at jujitsu memes in the evening and you, you tag one of the boys and it's like, it makes sense among everyone. And that can be real positive in uh, bodybuilding and more individual pursuits as well. But very often that's not the case. So for example, you could, you could have an online community that you use for your benefit that, you know, you're part of this community you all speak a common language, you all, you know, understand the same jokes, the same memes, etc. And there's a real positive social element to that. But a lot of the time, I'm sure you've seen this yourself. Um, people try to stand out as individuals so much that they're willing to just kind of push everyone else aside and be like, I'm the lone wolf, you know, fuck all the haters. And you know, there's that kind of in that attitude that comes with it. Um, and it's at that point that I think you start to see all of those social health trade-offs. And as someone's maybe mood begins to deteriorate, they sometimes begin to just isolate themselves even more. You know, I'm going to diet even harder, you know, and if someone in my life does not agree with what I'm doing, rather than trying to foster that relationship, it's encouraged that you just work even harder and you kind of dig yourself into a hole, you know, you, you just, is that relatable? Because I'm, I'm kind of going around in circles there with some ideas that bounce around in my own head. Yeah. Um, so something that sticks out to me there is kind of like, an example, like if you take a bodybuilder or an athlete uh, and say, unfortunately, they, like, they become, they get like uh, 
say, career-ending injury. And yeah. then they think their life is over. Like, everything is gone, completely everything. To me, that kind of gives an example of maybe they had traded off every other social exactly. element. So they, have not, so they believe they have nothing left. Like, their identity is gone, their life. When the, and then I think that might be a good way to understand, like, that's what you kind of mean. So not that people should look and think if, they, if that happens to them, but if it did, if it did, if that was taken away from you, would you have other areas of your life? And maybe if you, if you don't, that could be kind of a sign like, okay, yeah, like, and some people don't mind doing that. That's just the trade-off they're willing to do, but at least having an idea of it, because sometimes a lot of people are completely unaware until something like that happens and they realize, oh, I have nothing else in life. I need to start something, you know. Um, would, that, would, would that tie in with it? A hundred percent. And you actually see that, you see that play out sometimes um, in athletes when they retire. You know, you mm. often hear stories of athletes that retire and they don't know how to live. You know, they don't know like what to do or how to live anymore. And very often it becomes a case of kind of maybe they, they start coaching a local club or they're still trying to try and find some way of, of being involved in sport. But because they accepted so many trade-offs over the years that were probably necessary as, as a high-level athlete, um, other areas of their life begin to basically uh, deteriorate. And then you're kind of left picking up the pieces after when you do retire. So, I mean, you have to be ask, always asking yourself what, what sort of trade-off you are willing to accept. Because if it is the case that you're you can like you're just going to the gym to look a bit better but it's not a career for you then your trade-offs that you're willing to accept for that should be a lot less than you know a high level soccer player playing for united or whatever you know because if if you're that if you're in that situation and you're that person clearly there're going to be a lot of trade-offs you have to accept but there's also a lot more um, payment, literally and metaphorically, that you're receiving um, for those trade-offs that you happen to be making. So you do have to ask yourself, like, like how how what you're doing does align with with your own values and and what areas of your life you're willing to um, you're willing to sacrifice and what you actually have for backup. Because if you like, I saw this with a lot of people with the the COVID nineteen pandemic, where some gym goers are literally on they have nothing else in their lives and that's not to say that that that's not to say that they don't have a family or friends or anything like that but that most of their happiness and satisfaction from life was dependent on them being able to go to the gym every day and for me that's a very fragile way of living because you never want to be reliant on only one area of your life unless that is like something you're saying i'm 100% devoted to this you know for example if you're going to be a a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon, and you're going to work 80 hours per week for a lot of your training, you do so knowing that a lot of your life is going to have to be sacrificed and that there's going to be, you know, a lot of trade-offs to come with that. Your relationships are going to be difficult. You're going to be tired. Your health might, might be compromised, etc. cetera, um, by sacrificing a lot of your life for that. Similar thing if you're going into the, to the military, you know that there are huge trade-offs associated with that. So any of these situations that, that, that you have to make these decisions, trade-offs are important to consider. But very often in the, in the kind of fitness sphere, and when we start to think about the decisions we make as it relates to training and body composition, we make those decisions blindly without seeing the trade-offs because people just don't talk about them, you know, because people talk, celebrate basically being isolated and living in an isolated way. Um, so, so it is important to, to discuss those things.
yeah, I think that's like really, really interesting. And I definitely think even for the listeners that hopefully that's opened up maybe another avenue or another thought process with a lot of people. Um, and I'm conscious of your time, Gary. So um, I think I think there's uh, so much there to take in over the, the last however long we're on this um, that we will finish with that. So if just to finish, if people want to get in touch with you, where is um, the best the best place? Yeah, so like if you're interested in getting in touch with me, you can, well, you can email me if you want, gary at triagemethod.com. Like I always appreciate when people kind of do take the time to type out an email and curate their thoughts as opposed to just being like, messaging on instagram uh, which is fine you know it's fine but sometimes it's just like if you send me a three-page message like i'm like oh man i'd much rather if i had this via email you know so that's that's sometimes easier but you can follow me at skinny guys on instagram i do kind of disable my account every now and then because i need to prioritize other stuff which you know practice what you preach that's what i was talking about in this podcast um i do disable my account every now and then so if you search for skinny guys you can't find it i probably just disabled my account but triage method is the business account anyway so that's where you can actually get in touch for uh, coaching or you'd like to check out any of our education stuff we also have a free open access facebook group the triage method community so if you want to get involved in some conversations with other like-minded people and get part of that community you know that social health get involved in there um, and we have our own podcast as well the triage method podcast and, and you can listen to myself patty and some guests uh, talk about some interesting topics over there so yeah perfect i will leave all of them in the show notes and skinny guys is all one word just, just to oh, let you know, right. because I, I, I have made that mistake a couple of times. Gary's forgiven me, thank, thankfully. offensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, um, thanks a million for listening. If, if you do, if you did find some value in that, please drop us a message, drop us a comment, and let us know. And if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, guys.